So you might remember as 2020 came to a close, which sort of simultaneously seems like yesterday, but also seems like ages ago, um, that everyone was really happy to see it go. Um, there were all kinds of memes and messages floating around about saying goodbye to 2020 and ushering in this new year as if it was going to kind of magically fix everything. Um, and at the beginning of the year, the staff had um, a devotion where we each drew a word out of a bowl full of words. The idea was that we would have this word to reflect on and pray about for the coming year, sort of have a sense of direction as we moved into 2021. And the word that I got was optimism in the middle of this pandemic, optimism. <laughs> but I decided to try to embrace it. Uh, but I didn't want to focus on like a blanket optimism. I didn't want a view that everything would just be okay and I could ignore all the negative things. So I started reading about biblical optimism and what it, what it really means for a Christian to be an optimist. And in my reading, I found this phrase, reckless optimism. Now, reckless optimism is a little different than blanket optimism. It's this idea that even in hardship, we can choose to see opportunity. That we believe everything will be okay and we are putting in work towards fostering growth and changes that we want to see. This idea of reckless optimism is sort of what I reflected on as I read our scripture for this week. Romans chapter 8 has been called by some to be the greatest chapter in the Bible. Uh, now, that's pretty subjective. I mean, come on, Leanne, how can you say that it's the best chapter in the Bible? There's so many, and we all have our favorite books, our favorite chapters, our favorite verses. But Romans 8, many scholars consider the greatest. It's got this big picture view. It's like a, a mountaintop scene. The book of Romans is a letter from Paul to the church in Rome, which at the time of the writing of the letter, he had not visited but he had heard of the church there and he knew of the work that they were doing and, and he wrote them a letter. Uh, now we've learned that there are 13 books in the Bible attributed to Paul and there are seven that scholars believe were actually written by Paul while the others were written in the name of Paul, like a follower or a student, which was normal, common at the time. However, Romans is one of those undisputed letters that we believe that Paul did indeed write likely while he was staying in Corinth around the year 56. And this letter to the Romans is so rich in theology. It includes some foundational concepts for Christianity. Uh, it begins by talking about our justification through faith in Christ alone. Uh, it talks about sanctification and the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, this chapter addresses suffering Redemption, resurrection, restoration, all of it. This chapter tells us of God's amazing providence and sovereignty and assures us in what is one of the most famous verses that nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. 
It's really a remarkable chapter and could probably be a whole sermon series just on its own. The section we are going to look at today is verses 18 through 25. And in these verses, we're going to see that big picture. Imagine looking at the story of God. The plan for the redemption of the world is like a scenic view on a mountaintop. It expands from Genesis 3 and the fall of creation to Revelations 22 and the promise of a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness is restored. Hear these words. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. So in Genesis 1, God looked upon creation and declared that it was good. And in chapter 3, sin and brokenness has entered the world. And suffering begins. And that's sort of where verse 18 starts, is with that idea of suffering. Uh, my husband Steve is camping at Enchanted Rock with the kids this weekend, and he called yesterday just to sort of check in and chat, but the connection was really poor. And when he asked me what my sermon was about today, I said laundry, because I thought he had said, what are you doing today? Um, and we laughed about the miscommunication, but then I thought about it, and I said, well, you know, like suffering, laundry's just going to keep coming until Christ comes back. So it works. <laughs> but seriously, the last 18, 20 months has brought about a lot of suffering. We have seen it and felt it on a global, a national, and a very personal level. Everything normal, like school and church and holidays and family gatherings, have all been changed in ways that it makes it hard for us to gather comfort from those routines that we've practiced for so long. Stress and anxiety seem to be at an all-time high. Our nerves are just frayed and weary from the endlessness of this pandemic that has caused strife, perhaps damaged relationships, and led to the illness and death of so many including our loved ones. There has been collateral damage from this pandemic and the varied responses that we have made to it. Economic difficulties, social isolation, struggling with learning for our children, mental health, 
an increase in substance abuse, a rise in the incidence of domestic violence, reduced access to social services, especially for groups who are already marginalized and vulnerable. Every tragedy, even those unrelated to COVID, seems magnified and harder because of this changed world that we've been experiencing these last almost two years. Amidst such suffering, it's really common to ask why. It's common to feel alone, to feel like maybe God has somehow abandoned us. I feel like we are all David in Psalm 22, crying out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, from hearing the words of my groaning? But in these verses we've read today, Paul acknowledges this brokenness, this suffering, and assures us that we are not, that we could never be forsaken. The present time that he refers to in verse 18 isn't necessarily a specific time or a specific event that he's writing about to the church in Rome. Rather, it's just a reference to the notion that the suffering of this life, that our present circumstances, whatever they may be, cannot compare to the glory of the coming Lord and the resurrection that we will all experience. To me, these verses encapsulate what we mean when we sing about the joy that we find in the Lord rather than in the circumstances of our daily lives. That's why there's a difference between happiness, which is fleeting and circumstantial, and joy, which is grounded in the hope of Christ. And I want to talk about that hope for just a minute because um, in our modern English, I feel like hope is a word that's really been watered down a lot. It's a wish. It's a desire. Like, I really hope it doesn't rain again today. Or I really hope my team wins this week. In my case, I really hope someone else will do the laundry for once. There's a lot of room for doubt in those statements. But the word in Greek, like in verse 24, it conveys way more confidence than that. There is no doubt. Biblical hope isn't a feeling. It is an expected reality. It is something that we have not seen, yet we know will come to pass. There is deep assurance in biblical hope because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on the fullness of grace and love in Christ and his work on the cross. So when a situation seems hopeless, when the world seems broken beyond repair, when we don't feel hope, Paul is telling us that it is a certainty. And I want to be clear that this isn't, you know, some Pollyanna toxic positivity that just denies or ignores anything that is negative or unpleasant. Paul sees the suffering and the brokenness in the state of the world. 
but he also sees God's redeeming power. So this life isn't just waiting for some inevitable end. It's the anticipation of renewal and recreation brought about by the glory and the power of God. Yet that doesn't mean that we can't recognize and sit with our suffering. Remember in the Gospel of John when Jesus cried with the family of Lazarus. Even though he knew that Lazarus would be resurrected, he knew the end of the story, and yet he cried with them. He sits with us in our suffering. And we can cry in grief and frustration at our circumstances, while also knowing with certainty that we are in God's hands and that things will ultimately resolve into good. And by that, I don't mean that each individual tragedy has good that comes out of it. Some tragedies don't. I'm looking at the big picture that despite our personal and collective tragedies, the world is redeemed. God has a plan for renewal and restoration. So what does that mean for us? Does it mean we have that golden ticket that Mike has talked about before and we can just kind of sit around and wait out the world? Not at all. I think it means that we have work to do. The kingdom of God is both a present and a future reality. Verse 23 tells us that we have the first fruits of our salvation and the Holy Spirit that is at work within us. And so it would be easy to write off the world and just seclude ourselves. But we can't. It is God's world. And we are called as a church to be a part of the world. We are not called to sit in some ivory tower, comfortable in the knowledge that we are saved. We are called to be at prayer and at work in precisely those places where the world is in pain. Reflect for a minute on the mission of the United Methodist Church. I'm not going to make you say it out loud in case you don't know it. I'll, I'll give you, tell it to you. It is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. It is not to make disciples of Jesus Christ so we can all sit around knowing and trusting that we have been saved and that everything's going to be okay for us one day. To make disciples for the transformation of the world. That is the work that we are called to do as followers of Christ. We trust in the hope that we have in Jesus, and we trust in God's plan for redemption and restoration, while also working to bring about change and goodness. And that is reckless optimism. We've had quite a year. This past week marks uh, one year since Mike came to be our senior pastor here at AUMC. And so he and I were reflecting on that this past week. Everything that has happened, the freeze, the flooding, all the repairs, the inevitable headaches, and the delays that accompany them. 
And despite these hardships, we're really doing well as a church. We're in a stronger financial position than we've been for a number of years. It was amazing to see the church support the WLC when the Life Center was closed and make space for them in this building and in the Ed Wing and in Asbury. It was really cool to see all the people that showed up in February to help move what could be salvaged from one building to the other. The church staff was certainly blessed by having a closer presence of the children and the staff during the months that they were occupying this building. And your leadership was recklessly optimistic as they repaired the spaces that had been damaged. They took chances and opportunities to correct issues that had been lingering in the buildings for years. They looked at creative new ways to make things better and more functional while under renovation. There was no anxious presence just trying to cobble everything back together as quickly as possible. There was creativity and imagination for how to make things better and further our ministries here at AUMC. And taking those opportunities and the is that reckless optimism. This last week, we also began preparing for our upcoming All Saints Sunday. Remembering those that we have lost this year in our community and spending a lot of time in prayer for their families and their loved ones. And again, while these losses are heartbreaking, it was a privilege to see all of you as a church family caring for one another during these difficult times. It was an opportunity to truly see God at work. And I believe that each time we see someone acting as Christ would, loving God and loving their neighbors, taking chances to further ministry, taking chances to spread the good news of the gospel of Christ, we are truly seeing the kingdom of God already present among us. And it's amazing. But it's just a tiny foretaste of the amazing future glory that we read about in Romans 8. Our present suffering can never outweigh the goodness of God's kingdom. And that makes me recklessly optimistic about this church, this community, and the future of the world. Let us pray. Dear God, we come to you this morning, some of us so weary from these last months and almost years that we have endured, each coming from different places of brokenness and healing, different stages of grief or worry, we come as those who support one another and those who are in need of support. And we are grateful, God, for the way that you are at work in our community. We are grateful for that small vision that we see of your kingdom every time we help one another, every time we are your hands and feet. Lord, I ask you to open our eyes so that we may have the opportunity to see more of where you are at work in our lives. 
that we may celebrate that. And then it may be for us a small reminder of the amazing glory that waits for us upon your full restoration of this world. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.